Good morning. He is risen. He is risen. Hallelujah. Well, happy Easter, everyone. Uh, welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We're uh, going to get started with worship, and you're welcome to stand as we praise the King. The Lord is risen today, alleluia. Sons of man and angels say, alleluia. Praise your joys and triumphs, alleluia. Sing ye heavens and earth
take my place that you would bear my cross you lay down your life that I would be set free oh Jesus I sing for all that you've done for me Jesus comes again. 
the brokenness surrounding us. Division, hatred, fear, uncertainty. The pain we're witnessing is real, and the need for a savior is undeniable. It's this need which broke the heart of God and moved him to do the unimaginable. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son, to change our eternity, to be the perfect sacrifice for us. Love on a cross, dying once for all, laid to rest in the darkness of a tomb. Today, as we face so many unknowns, may we remember the simple truth of Easter. The stone's been rolled away. The grave is empty. Jesus is alive. And love has risen. Love has risen indeed. It is finished. Rejoice. Father God Almighty, we thank you for the truth of your son's Jesus' resurrection and victory over death. We rejoice and proclaim a hallelujah chorus that forever and forever, Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Good morning, La Jolla Community Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Oh, that was too quiet for me. How's everybody doing this morning? There it is. He is risen. I love it. I love it. My name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the director of youth ministries at La Jolla Community Church, and I want to welcome you all to our wonderful service on this amazing Easter morning. Well, on your way in, you should have received one of our fancy new bulletins, and some of you may not have even noticed, but right in the middle, there's a perforation, and that bad boy tears right in half. This top half, we would hope and invite, you guys would take it home, invite somebody, let them know that we've got some wonderful, fun things going on here at church. Some of you may not know, normally, not this Sunday, but normally after our service, we have what's called conversations. It is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to get together in small groups, watch a few awesome videos, and just dig deep into the Word of God with a group of people who are similar and in a similar walk of life as you. So please take this top half home, invite somebody to church, let them know we've got a wonderful community that we would love them to be a part of. This bottom half is for you here at church. Um, this first side on it says, get connected with us. This is how we at La Jolla Community Church get you plugged in, get you engaged in some of the wonderful, fun ministries that we've got going on here at church. I don't know if anybody peeked through and saw the really cool tomb that our children's ministry team put together. If you would like to be part of that team or any of the wonderful teams that we have here, please take a moment, fill out this Connect card, let us know how we can get you engaged and plugged in here at church. On the other side, it says, let us pray for you. This is our prayer card. We at La Jolla Community Church believe in the power of prayer. We believe in covering everybody's needs, everybody's hearts and woes. So if you've got something difficult going on during this Easter season, maybe you need a little bit of support. Maybe you've got a friend, a neighbor, somebody who you would just like to pour some love out to. We have a dedicated team of prayer warriors that goes over every single prayer that is turned in and we pray over everybody's needs. If you've got a praise report, something wonderful that God did in your life, please, please, please take a moment, take this card, fill it out. Let us know the wonderful things that are that God is doing in your life. And on your way out, you can drop this card off right in the basket on your way out along with the offering envelopes, which should be in the seat backs directly in front of you. One more thing that I would love to bring everybody's attention to, when you go outside, right around the corner here, you'll notice a really big cross and a couple of buckets that have some carnations, beautiful carnations that look just like this. One of the things that we wanted you guys to, or to give everyone the opportunity to do on this wonderful Sunday is just take a moment and remember and think about what is something in your life that's maybe keeping you from Jesus, right? The tomb was rolled away this morning and Jesus was resurrected to forgive everything that we've ever done. But I don't know about you, every now and then there's one thing that I like to hold on to to remind myself that I am not the greatest person that God has made me to be. And God wants to take that away from you. So as you go outside today, just grab a carnation and slide it into the cross. And as you do, take a moment to think and pray, what is that one thing that I just won't let go of? What is that one thing that I think makes me not good enough to come to the feet of Jesus? Let that go today. Give that to the cross. And as you put that, that carnation up there, look at all the other carnations that have been placed on our cross. And remember, this is the beauty, this is the grace that is Easter morning. 
The last announcement, um, for those of you that have young ones off in children's ministry or anybody that wants to see one of the most beautiful, chaotic things you've ever seen, immediately after the service, we're going to have an Easter egg hunt right on the lawn. So parents, you're going to pick up your kids on the lawn after service. If I can get anybody that's willing and all the parents to line up along the sidewalk so that we don't have any kids going into the street. So if you just line up on the sidewalk, we're going to release all your kids. I've got about a thousand Easter eggs. Last year, they picked them up in 28 seconds. I'm I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that this group is going to beat that. So if you would like to see some fun, participate. Any students that are in here that would love to participate, all ages, we would love to have you guys. Please, immediately after the service, make your way out onto the lawn. Well, with that, I'm going to invite Pastor Steve. He's got a little interview that he's going to lead us in. Thank you all so much. Well, it, it's Easter Sunday, and uh, we're going to have an interview in a moment with uh, Dr. Ariane Jansma. Uh, but this is painful, but I have to do it because it's required that you tell a joke on Easter Sunday uh, because uh, Satan thought he had the last laugh, but the resurrection is God's best thing of that. And it's a period of joy, time of joy, obviously. But Dr. Ariane Jasma is married to uh, Dave, who also is a scientist. And so here's my big question for you. What do you get when two PhDs get married? You get a paradox. Okay, so Arian, come on up. And I am going to interview you. Do we even need to go on? I think that's pretty much all we need to do today. Yeah, so uh, Dr. Arian Jansma, uh, wife, mom, daughter, uh, professor of chemistry, scientist, uh, is there anything you don't do or can't do? You made uh, matzo ball soup on Friday for Passover even. So I want to ask her some questions because one of the things we, we, we are all about here is not just Bible study, but Bible doing. Uh, not just knowing stuff about God, but walking with Him. And so, Arian, uh, between, uh, by the way, there's a whole bunch of scientists here. We have a bunch of graduate students getting their PhDs. We have people who are in the sciences. And one of the big challenges is how do you integrate your faith in your life? at work, at home, all that. So tell us, how, how are you experiencing the resurrection in your life in practical ways, at home and at work? So, you know, I think, and this is something, Steve, you've talked about before, too. We're busy. Life is busy, and there's a lot. And I think what we're discovering, you know, as, as a family is how do you bring God into everything? How do you lean into that? You know, and they're, they're setting aside time. Right, we, we set aside Sunday mornings. We set aside our family's little tradition when we can is to do a little blessing in the morning. So we, you know, our children are young, and so before we all go off our separate ways, it's this idea of asking God to bless our day until we're together again. But then it's how do you lean into God in everything? And, and you know, I think about that's really what I want to teach my children. I want that intentionality that says I go into a faculty meeting and I have this, what would Jesus do attitude, you know? And, and sometimes it's, would he overturn the table? Is that <laughs> yeah. a moment to do that? Right. Or would he keep his mouth shut, which I have to say for me is harder, um, and then deal with the consequences of, of my decision. But I think about what I want for my children. And I think when they navigate the playground, when they navigate their classrooms, their teachers, I want them always leaning into God is here. God is with me. How do I reflect that? Mm. How do I reflect who I am as a Christian? And I think the most we can do is we try to do it ourselves 
in everything. And that's my constant dialogue. It's my constant, how do we just live our life every day for God in the things we do? And I, I don't have all the answers. That's just, that's the intentionality we're, we're as a family trying to, trying to live with. So you teach chemistry, which is probably the easiest thing in most colleges uh, to study and to teach. Uh, and so you not only teach chemistry, but you worship the creator. How, how does that look like in your life in the classroom? So one, it's funny, teaching chemistry, it's nice because that bar is set pretty low. You know, they come in being like, I'm going to hate this. And if they come out being like, okay, I kind of liked it, you're like, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I, I think that so, so much of it with, with chemistry is this idea that we're, we're coming down to the fundamentals here. You know, we're studying the, 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 the part that just makes us everything that we are. You know, and I, I make this big joke that they say biology is the science of life, and I'm always saying, but chemistry is driving the biology. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, so much of that then is saying, this is where we see God. This is, this is the, these are these amazing moments where we say, look at what we can even begin to comprehend, and then how much bigger is God beyond that? Um, and I'm fortunate because I, I work at a Christian university, so this idea of praying and recognizing that they know I'm praying for them and my family prays for them and, you know, trying to thread that peace into their lives because they are far more stressed out than I am hmm. is is. I think where we see God the most is finding that peace in, in, as we're studying and as we're navigating all of this. Um, that's, where, that's where we really try to say this is where it's bigger than us. It has to be bigger than us. Ariane, we thank God for you as a, as a mom, as a wife, as a daughter, uh, as a leader at your university, as a teacher of generations of scientists coming up. So thank you. God bless you. Well, we've been asking a question all through Lent. Uh, why Jesus? Uh, why Jesus? And maybe you're sitting here today saying, yeah, good question. Uh, I, maybe you're somebody's guest today, and you're saying, yeah, why Jesus? Uh, interesting, but kind of irrelevant, actually, for a lot of people. Why Jesus? Um, and today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Literally, Jesus died. This is not a figurative, poetic statement. Literally, medically, Jesus died. Uh, Jesus was buried. He stopped breathing. He had a complete cessation of life. And uh, if we had time, we could unpack all the details uh, that support that statement. And yet, here we are. If you're from an Orthodox church, you woke up this morning saying, Christos Anesti, and hearing the response, Alithos Anesti. In in languages around the world, people woke up, will wake up saying, He has risen. He has risen indeed. And so that's the answer for us. Why Jesus? Because he's the only one qualified to be the Savior of the world. He's the only one qualified to be the Lord of the world. Why? Because it was through him that all things were created. It's in him that all things are held together. It's through him that all things find their ultimate fulfillment now and forever. So let me read uh, Luke 24, 1 to 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They had initially prepared Jesus' body on Friday with about 75 pounds of cloth and, and, uh, and spices and ingredients that was part of preparing someone for the dead. Now they, they ran out of time because the sun was setting, it was going to be Passover, 
on Shabbat, and so they came back now to finish what they'd started. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. The eleven eleven is a reference to the remaining disciples. Judas, who betrayed Jesus, went out and hung himself. And so now there's eleven remaining disciples. And there's some other disciples with them as well. It was Mary, Magdalena, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. For many people in the world today, this is a summation of Easter and the resurrection. It is nonsense. There is no sense to this. It's beyond anything I can imagine in my closed view of the world. And if I can't understand it, it does not matter. It makes no sense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. This represents another big chunk of our world. People saying, well, I don't want to write it off completely because a lot of people seem to believe this, and there's a lot of evidence to substantiate this. And so maybe you're one of those people who are saying, I'm wondering. I'm open. I'm exploring. I don't really know quite how to put it all together. Well, following the resurrection, that's pretty much how everybody felt, even as Jesus began to appear before them. They were processing it. They were wondering. They were saying, how can this be? It was so unexpected, so unanticipated, though he had prepared them. Because there's no category like this, this is a category of one. Even though he had prepared them, even in his final uh, days with them and the final supper with them, uh, they still couldn't get their head around this. It defied everything they knew, experienced, and understood about reality, about life. Now, these were people of faith, hoping for the Messiah to come, and still, it wasn't making sense to them. And so the disciples processed what had happened, and slowly they started to understand, and over this period of 40 days, uh, Jesus appeared to various groups of people, individuals, small groups of people, up to 500 people at one point confirming his resurrection and preparing them for what was to follow because the resurrection wasn't the end, it was just the beginning. And so years later, the Apostle Paul, first an antagonistic rabbi persecuting followers of Jesus, now the international representative for Christ, the international man, a citizen of Rome, in good standing as a rabbi in Jerusalem, having been tutored by Gamaliel, one of the great rabbis of the day, uh, now a follower of Jesus, writes this to the people in Corinth, primarily Greek-speaking Gentiles and some Jews among them. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, gospel being the good news. Uh, When the Roman forces would return victorious from yet another battle or conquest, uh, the slaves in front, the, 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 the trumpeters, everybody, the army assembled marching through the streets, the, the cry would be, euangelion, euangelion, good news, good news. 
I remind you of the good news I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, primary, essential, core. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the Twelve. And after that He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, appeared to me also. So this is in the first generation of followers of Jesus that he's sending this letter. Now let's go back to that period in between the resurrection and what happens next. And so in those first 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, they were asking the question, what now? Okay, we're convinced, but what now? Where do we go with this? What do we do with this? If we didn't believe it, who's going to believe us? And then on Pentecost, a harvest festival, 50 days after Passover, uh, the Holy Spirit is given to people. The Holy Spirit still existed previously, but now the Holy Spirit was poured out on 120 people in worship. It's cacophonous. It's disruptive. They're now speaking a language that's not their own, and people on the street are hearing their language spoken by people who are citizens of Jerusalem, and they're saying, what is going on here? These people are crazy or drunk or something is happening. We don't understand it. We don't have a category for this. So Peter gets up and he begins to explain things to them. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. He's connecting the dots with them. They knew stuff about Jesus. They just didn't know Jesus. They didn't know why Jesus came, and so they were still asking the question, why Jesus? Who cares? What difference does it make? Why does it matter? This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. These wicked men, it's a reference to Roman leaders and Jewish leaders, men more devoted and committed to their power and pride than they were to God's plan. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel, let all of you be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Well, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Have you ever had that experience of being cut to the heart? I don't mean cut down, I don't mean insulted, offended. I mean somebody says something so true, it just goes right to the core of you. In Israel's history, uh, the greatest king was David, and he did an unconscionable thing. He not only had an affair with a woman, he made sure that her husband didn't come home. He was set up to die in battle. And he thought he'd gotten away with this. He was a man after God's own heart, but he had made a really bad decision. In isolation, he made a really bad 
decision. And God knew, and God wanted to speak to his heart, so he sent a man named Nathan, a, a prophet, a man of credibility, wisdom and stature, who loved David dearly. And he went to David, and he told this story about a man who has all the sheep he could ever want, but he takes the little lamb of the family next door to feed it to a guest he's visiting. And of course, David goes crazy, because that's outrageous. How dare that man? He must pay. He must be held accountable for that. Of course, Nathan says, I'm sure quietly, he leans and says, David, you are that man. Cut to the heart. The Proverbs tell us that the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. Your enemies will blow smoke at you. That's awesome. No, keep doing that. Drink more. Smoke more. Drive faster. Get more reckless. You'll get away with it. It's working. But your friends will say, what are you thinking of? That's not who you are. You know who you are. And it cuts us to the heart. Because it's love penetrating the hardness of our heart. That's what's going on here. So it wasn't some brilliant expository message from Peter that turned the day. It wasn't even seeing all these ecstatic people experiencing the Holy Spirit. It was them simply finally hearing the truth about who they are and who God is and His intent for them. And it cut them to the heart. Some of you are surgeons. And when you cut someone, it feels a little weird, doesn't it, the first time you do that? Are you sure this is okay? And then you realize, no, this is for healing. This is to give them hope. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, sisters, what shall we do? What now? What now? So what does this mean for us, uh, for this world? We have an idea what it meant for them because it's documented. We get to read what it meant for them. But now we ask, well, what now? What for us? What, what does this mean for the world? If Jesus is risen from the dead, what shall we do? Well, I don't know, put it in context of everyday life. If somebody wins a lottery, they don't say whatever. They say, what now? Hey, we're out of debt. We're, we're going to go on a vacation. We're going to buy the house we've always wanted. We're going to send our kids to college. Um, all kinds of great things. Uh, maybe you are so close to graduating. I was talking with a couple of uh, graduate students yesterday. They're just uh, 30 days away from their MBA at Wharton School of Business. They're so excited. They don't have jobs yet. They're still excited. <laughs> and they're asking the question, uh, what now? What's next? They're not saying, yeah, whatever. They say, no, two years of really hard work, giving up a high-paying job to come do this. What now? What's next? So asking them about that, it was really fun to hear them go, wow, well, we're thinking of this and we're thinking of that. And, you know, it's all possible. What now? What can I do with this gift of opportunity? Jesus' last words, uh, condensed in one phrase, tetelestai. It means it is finished. Tetelestai, it is finished. Now anybody, uh, Greek was sort of the, we'd call it the lingua franca. You know, so it's a language that people spoke, Greek. Uh, more than they spoke Latin. If they spoke another language, it was probably Aramaic or Hebrew at home. But Greek was the language people understood. And so when Jesus cries out, Tetelestai, not only did every Gentile understand what that meant, it's finished, it's done, it's paid in full, is what it means. The job is complete. Every Jew would have heard that as Shalem. The proclamation that the priest would come out of the temple following the sacrifice and say, it is finished, Shalem. 
It is completed, shalem. There's hope for you, shalem. It says, you know, you can imagine, it's a cognate to the word shalom, the fullness and the peace and the presence and the, the greatness of God available to you. It's finished, the work is completed. So what he finished marks a new beginning for all creation. The Lord has risen. What now? There's more to come. We're on our way because God is leading the way. It wasn't a message, hey, y'all should do better. Work harder. Stop sinning. You know what the law says, just do it. Just say no, just say yes. Well, of course, that didn't work. It doesn't work. Even people who say, well, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to re-get it together this year. It doesn't work. It's not you getting better. It's not you trying harder. Effort is awesome. We need our 100% effort in anything we do. But our effort is not enough. With our effort, it will never be finished. I don't know one human being, and I've sat with many people as they died, who said, you know, it's finished, done. I got, got everything done. It's complete. No, most of us will die with somebody going, oh, now i got to go clean out the house. What am I going to do with all the stuff? This is the cry. This is a declaration confronting every generation. Tetelestai, it is finished. Now what? What will your response be? Jesus is saying, I'm finished. You're just beginning. Yeah, but I've made a mess of my life. Are you kidding me? That's behind you. Your life is in front of you. Yeah, but don't give me any yeah, but. I completed what I came to do so that you could do what I created you to do. If you're sitting here feeling hopeless and like you have to apologize, if you feel like every Canadian, I've never met a Canadian who doesn't say this, I'm Canadian, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you're Canadian, I'm sorry. I mean I, I mean, I apologize. Don't spend the rest of your life apologizing for being you, saying, you know, I'm a mess, I made a mess of my life. I had, a, I had a devastating experience in first grade. I got a report card that said, you know, Stephen does not take life seriously. I'm six. Cut me some slack. Give me a break. I don't take life seriously. I still have the scars from Sister Mary, whatever her name was, right here on, the, on these knuckles. To tell us, die, it's finished. Some people conclude it's a false story that didn't happen, so they do nothing. Yeah, 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 right. Okay, I've done that myth. So they don't do anything about it. There is no what now, what next. Some people, sadly, conclude maybe it's a true story, and they too do nothing. That's an interesting, really powerfully inspiring story. Uh, sometimes I feel super spiritual, and I, I really resonate with it, but you know, I don't really function that way. They believe in it, but they're functional atheists. Maybe you're in that category. You're a good person. You're trying to get it right. You believe this stuff, but it has no bearing on actually the way you make decisions. Had I interviewed you today, you'd have said, I don't know. I mean... I sat with one of the best leaders, high-profile leaders in this city when I first came here in, in this penthouse office or looking at the rest of the city. And I said, how can the church bless San Diego? And he said, I have no idea what you're talking about. He had just told me he believed in Jesus. This is not a judgment. I'm just saying it's an observation. He's a super smart guy, accomplished in every American possible way. Athletics, business, sports, education. And the guy is, to this day, a phenomenal, a really wonderful man. But he never thought about the functionality of faith. 
He said, I really just don't know. I said, would you be open to talking about that? I wasn't asking him for anything. I didn't want something from him. I wanted something for him. As a, as a key influential leader in this city who said, I, I believe in this stuff. Well, what do you think the church, the collective body of Christ in San Diego, could do to bless this city? To do a better job of looking at what the needs are in the city and responding to those needs. I didn't have a category for that. Maybe you don't. Am I supposed to have a category for that? Remember, Jesus said, it's finished. I'm done. I'm, I'm, why are you done? I'm not, gonna even, I'm not looking back. No, it's finished so something can happen right now. But everybody who actively, actively, in real time, in the normal, actual life they're living, believes this and receives this, it moves us from death to life. Literally physical, spiritual death, because even when we die, we will be resurrected with Jesus. But then also that spiritual death, that existential death of just getting through life going, life sucks. I suck. That's how a lot of people live their life. And I'm not just talking about teenagers saying that. I'm talking about people in every age and stage of life. There's nothing more heartbreaking to talk to somebody at the very end of their life going, the big disappointment, life is horrible. I thought it was going to be so great, and it ends really badly. But everybody who actively believes this receives this. Everybody who actively believes this and receives this. Leaning into the risen Lord Jesus moves from death to life, from hopelessness to hope, from having to try stuff to learning how to train in walking with Jesus. You can't try your way to a marathon. You've got to train for the marathon. You can't try to get a degree. You've got to train for it. You can't try to do something great. You've got to train for it with that diligent, consistent, coachable intensity that allows any of us to grow. That's what the power of the resurrection does for us. When we fail, we fail forward. When we fail, we don't say, it's over. We say, ah, I've learned something. I'm going to keep going. So we believe the resurrection of Jesus is good news because it's true news. It's not just good news because we put on a happy face and I'm dressed like an Easter egg. I mean, you know, it's not just saying, hey, I'm in, I'm in a happy mood. I'm, let's go out and get eggs and things. No, it's good news because it's true news. It's documented good, true news. The Gospels document eyewitness accounts of Jesus' death, life, death, and resurrection. This documentation has withstood 2,000 years, 2,000 years of critical scrutiny. It holds water. It holds up under scrutiny. We're not saying, hey, just believe this and don't, don't look too closely at the details. We're saying, open up the book, take a dive in. Everywhere you look, you're going to have more support for why you can put your hope and trust, not in a book, but in the one through whom this book has been given. The God who reveals himself and reveals us as people beloved of him. So rejecting or neglecting the resurrection doesn't make it untrue. Well, I tried, it didn't work. Oh, tell me about that. I tried pole vaulting once. I didn't really get very far off the ground. I think I can't say pole vaulting doesn't work, but I've seen some people do it, and it's amazing, right? It seems to defy gravity. No, rejecting or neglecting the gospel is simply saying that it remains untried. I haven't really truly opened myself to what God promises and what God invites for me. We say, well, yeah, okay, so it's true, but I really can't believe it because, you know, I just can't live it. 
That's the point. It wouldn't have, we wouldn't have needed it if you could do it. The whole point, it's beyond your reach. It's, it's, such, a, it's such bad theology to tell anybody, you know, God will never give you anything more than you can handle. Are you kidding? That's what God does. God gives you more than you can handle. Why? So you can be humiliated and discouraged? No. So that you can depend on Him. That you can lean into Him and find that He is absolutely everything you need and provides those other things that you need. You don't give up, you give in. You give over. That's not to become passive and say, okay, fine, you do it. No, it's saying, help me do it. We must cry out to God like that man who said to Jesus, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus had said to this man who had asked him to to heal, a family member, and and Jesus said, well, um, if you believe, you'll be healed. He goes, well, I, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. And Jesus did. See, that's what Jesus does. That's why he could say, it's finished. What was holding you back is done. It no longer has power over you. Why give it power that it no longer has over you? So we must confess our absolute need for God's absolute grace given to us in Jesus. Our absolute need. I kind of need Jesus. No, you absolutely need Jesus. Sometimes I really need Jesus. No, every moment of every day you need Jesus. This is not to make you an infant, a perpetual baby. It's meant to be equipping you and empowering you to grow up into the fullness of life for which you were made and for which he has saved us. Do you follow that? Do you understand that? Of course you do in here, but are you willing to follow it and understand it in here? I knew a guy, his name was Steve Brown. He was a brilliant speaker. He was phenomenal. He was such a great speaker. He flew every week around the country and around the world to speak. He was deathly afraid of flying. He never actually sat in in an airplane seat. He'd hover above it. He had phenomenal thighs. His glutes were like nobody's glutes and calves, you know, to be envied. And he would joke about it because, you know, I'm such a wimp. I'm so afraid to fly, but I get paid doing it, so I do it. But I, I can't do it. So what I've been doing, and, and this later in his life, he said, I've been going to see a counselor. Uh, and what does the counselor do? Helps me sit down. Helps me put my weight in the seat and entrust my journey to Jesus. Do you feel like that sometimes? I just can't quite put my weight on, on Jesus because he really won't be there for me. Those people I, I trust won't really be there for me. I'm all about my next performance, what I can provide, what I can do, whom I can impress. No, un- un- understand that that's a false construct for living. Nothing and no one can take away the love of Christ from you. And if people try to, then they don't understand the love of Christ, they don't understand you. We must confess our absolute need for God's absolute grace given to us as a gift in Jesus. So I ask you, what's the condition of your heart toward God today? Is it trusting or troubled? Yeah, I know I should, but I I don't want to, I can't. Was it trusting? You know, I just keep waking up saying, Lord, I give my day to you. It's that simple. Wake up, and before your feet hit the ground, just say, Lord, I give this day to you. Lead me through this day. Show me what you want me to learn. Help me recover from the blunders of yesterday. Help me to see the possibilities and the beauty of today. Help me to be good at repenting of sin seeking forgiveness, confessing my absolute need for your absolute grace so that I can become this incredibly strong, resilient, creative, productive person. Not as a way of earning your love or proving my worth, but as a a result of being loved and worth everything to you. 
So he cuts to the heart of us, not to hurt us, but to heal us, to teach us how to love. His resurrection power restores and renews our heart, our mind, over and over and over again. It's continuous. Well, yeah, I became a Christian at Forest Home. I was in young life in high school, and I became a Christian. I, I, university, I, I became. Okay, great. But you didn't just eat 40 years ago or 20 years ago or, or two days ago. You eat every day. We need to be nurtured in the gospel, constantly renewed by this resurrection power. Why? Because God is giving us a new heart and a new spirit. When the, when the Jews came back from, when Israel came back from the second exile, God raises up the prophet Ezekiel and he says this incredible thing on behalf of God. God says through Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That's what the people were seeing on Pentecost. God fulfilled this promise, this prophecy, and others like it. So brothers and sisters, what shall we do? I'm talking to you, but I'm talking to me. All sermons I write are for my benefit, and I hope somebody else gets something out of them. Brothers and sisters, what shall we do? How about we start with this? Stop looking for life among the dead. Stop stop expecting dead things to give us life. Dead things can be good things. I mean, money is a dead thing, but it can be a really good thing. Food is a dead thing. It can be a really good thing. Anything that God has entrusted to you, talent, insights, capacities, abilities, could be phenomenal as a gift to Him to bless people. Or it can be deadly because you bury yourself with all your stuff. Stuff, anything about a human aspiration or creation is for the most part neutral until we decide what to do with it. Do you you agree with that? And what we choose to do with a technology, a technique, an ability, a talent, our treasure, could go one way or the other. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing that really matters because all of it decays and becomes vanity. But in Christ, anything we do, from changing a diaper to changing a tire, is infused with the sacred awareness that I I belong to a God who made this incredible universe, and even in the mundane, His resurrection makes a difference. So we want to learn how to love the the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, our neighbor as ourselves, learning how to love ourselves. We want to let God's living word reorder everything that we need to know about His plan for us. And the implications of this are staggering in immensity and significance and power. We get to say, look what God has done. And so what shall we do in response? Oh, I know. I'll believe it and I'll receive it. I did yesterday. I'll do it today. Uh, I hopefully will do it tomorrow. It's this ongoing progressive experience of experiencing the risen, reigning Lord. And so Jesus, risen from the dead, is here with us. Why look elsewhere? Embrace him. And as you embrace him, you're going to embrace other people. And you're going to embrace other things. But it's always in the context of your relationship with him. Not to be more religious, but to be more alive. Not to impose your views on other people, but to share the hope that is within you as you come alongside people in authentic relationship. Sometimes confronting them. Sometimes comforting them. Sometimes receiving confrontation. Sometimes receiving comfort. So Jesus, who died and rose again, replaces our confusion with his inspiration. A new heart, a new mind, a new spirit. Jesus, risen from the grave, inspires and empowers us to receive his life into ours. 
Our commitment to Christ and His kingdom releases His resurrection power in us. Your will, your volition matters. What you say yes or no to matters. Decisions make a difference. Do not be indecisive about this. Well, I don't know enough. I have questions. Start the journey and you'll get the answers. If you postpone the journey, you'll never get the answers. That's why we celebrate Easter. Because Jesus lives. And by His grace, we live in Him. Do you believe that? If so, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you for this incredible fact. This life-changing reality. This experience like no other that gives us life in all its fullness now and forever. We thank you and praise you in your high and holy name. In the high and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Now, we, we take an offering, and in this case, we're not asking you for money. You, if you want to contribute to the ministry of this church, the mission of this church, please do, and find all kinds of creative ways to do that. Time, talent, treasure. But right now, it's an offering of you to Him. And so as the music plays, and as we, we conclude our time of worship, offer yourself, wherever you are, whatever is on your heart, on your mind, offer it up to Him. It's Resurrection Sunday. He's, 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 aware, he's aware of what you need, but offer it to Him. Where, where people gather in His name, He's there among them. Be assured He's with you right now. Oh 
again And the dead rose from their tombs And the angels stood in awe For the souls of all who had come To the Father are restored And the church of Christ was born Their spirit lit the flame Now the gospel truth of old Shall not be, shall not fail Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me. Take that next step in Christ. We want to help you in any way we can. If you've never received him into your life as Savior and Lord, do that right now. It doesn't take a big ceremony. Just say, Lord, I want you in my life. I receive you. I confess my absolute need for your absolute grace. Maybe you've been far from him. You feel kind of funny being here today. Well, I've been kind of out of it, and maybe I shouldn't even be here. You're in the right place. This is a homecoming for you. Welcome home. Maybe your prayer today is, Lord, thank you for bringing me back. And now commit yourself to being in fellowship with his people. Let us help you get into a life group. Let us help you get connected to people who can help you take a deep dive into the word of God. If we can pray for you in any way, go right out around the corner to that beautiful little prayer garden. And there'll be people there who can pray for you, with you, for you or for anything that concerns you before you leave today, before you go to Easter again. In any case, whatever we can do, we want to help you grow in the knowledge and love of God that makes all the difference, not just in you, but through you. You are the hope of the world if you are in Christ. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk, to thrive, to grow in newness and fullness of life, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Have a great and wonderful Easter.